This message by Pastor Eric Ludy was given at the church at Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. As a ministry, we desire to see the return of strong, triumphant Christianity in the church today. We make these messages available free of charge for the purpose of strengthening the body of Christ and igniting bold faith in the hearts of believers around the world. The ministry of Ellerslie is made possible through the prayers and financial support of listeners like you. If you have been personally impacted by Ellerslie's messages, please consider partnering with us as we build world changers for Jesus Christ through gospel-centered discipleship. Visit ellerslie.com to learn more. Now, here's Pastor Eric Ludy. So this past weekend, as, as a body, we were working through these ideas of how the grace of God works within us as individuals uniquely to actually function as a body. It was, it was a precious time, I know, for me. This morning's message is a standalone in the sense that you didn't have to go through this past weekend to understand it. That was my whole goal in preparing it. However, those of you that did go through this past weekend will have a unique insight into it uh, just because it builds. But it's sort of difficult for me to know how to articulate it. And I know that some of you have struggled at times with the fact that I vary my communication style a lot. In other words, like this sermon is completely different than this sermon, and it's a style issue. And some of us just prefer to have the same style all the time. You know, whether that's expositional teaching, I always want to be working through a book. If you're not working through a book, this isn't real church. And, you know, I can appreciate that. It's a style thing. Just like if you're not singing hymns, then it's not really worship. And if you're not singing choruses, then it's not really worship. If you're not singing modern songs that the congregation knows, it's not really worship, right? Because how can people sing if they don't know the song? You ever been in one of those churches where every song you don't know? And you're just like bouncing on your toes, right? And so I get all of those things. And that's part of actually what I want to bring up today is there is so much uniqueness hotwired into us by the living God. And I am going to go as far as to say that I believe he purposely has built us unusual and unique, even one to the other, to the point where it creates a certain form of irritation. You know, like that church down the street that does things a little funny? They're a little irritating. And of course, our perspective is the way that we do it is the right way. The way that they do it is a little off. And if you were to evaluate the way they do it, it's not that it's off biblically, it's just off stylistically. And you feel like they're emphasizing the wrong things down the road. And yet you get a group like this, which is a really funny group of people, because we're not denominationally oriented. We're not coming in saying, oh, well, yes, we're all Southern Baptist. In fact, there's a few that are going, whoa, we're Southern Baptist? (laughs) So we have every, this is such an eclectic mixture of perspectives and orientations towards the same scriptures. But we all believe those scriptures are true. But you hear someone else sort of emphasize one aspect of the scripture. You're like, why are they getting off on that? This is what really matters in scripture. And so that's why you'll always see me say, hey, guys, let's, let's agree on one thing. It all comes down to Jesus and what he did on that cross. Let's make sure that we are willing to determine to know nothing outside of Jesus and him crucified, lest we be beguiled by the devil and end up focusing and emphasizing the wrong things because there's a lot of things in Scripture to emphasize, a lot. And yet every single sub-point in Scripture actually is there on purpose. So the fact that you have an extreme fascination for this aspect of Scripture, whether it be eschatology, the study of the end times, whether it's how salvation really works in a soul, soteriology, whether it's like daily practice of living and like the expression of 
power in our life, which can be oftentimes understood as spiritual gifts or the empowerment, the endowment of the Holy Spirit. You notice that what I'm saying actually are things that make for different denominational emphases all over the place. And yet none of those things is in and of themselves wrong. It's just that we are built in a strange way to be sensitive and an extra measure to certain aspects of the Christian life, and we tend to get irritated with each other on that. It's like, boy, this is the way you should be built. And what we mean is, I'm right, you're wrong. And so what I want to do is I want to purposely poke on that, and I want to actually have us see the sense of humor that God obviously has as a creator to put us all together in a room like this and to make us so different. And then he smiles as he watches us interact, and we're looking at each other going, you've got to be kidding, that's a funny version of a Christian. And yet, it could be that it is a perfect version of how God has built you and how God has built the other person, and that irritation is on purpose. Now, to clarify what I mean by that, because irritation has a negative connotation, I get that, okay? If, If you're being irritated all the time, something probably is wrong, right? If you're just constantly walking around irritable. Well, there's irritation that destroys or that deconstructs your life. And there's irritation that is constructive. So what I'm referring to is the form of irritation that actually builds beauty into your life. Now, I'm going to go through that. That's what this message is on. So I might as well just sort of set the stage with my title. And some of you, I already know, one person confessed they already snuck peeks at the notes. Okay, that is strictly prohibited around here, by the way. Pearl farming. Purposely turning irritants into treasure. In other words, if we were to approach the body of Christ, recognizing that there's some rather awkward things and different emphases in the body of Christ that could get under our skin, if we know that and we are proactive in that, we could actually see these things turned into treasure in our life. By the way, this is how we approach trials and sufferings and difficulties anyways. We might as well approach the body of Christ this way. Because it seems to be that in God's economy, he takes things that otherwise would be deemed harmful, and he's constantly turning them to good. And what's interesting is in the body of Christ, this is good, but it's different. It's odd to us. It's strange. And when we take those things that are more at the irritation level. To call it suffering to be in the body of Christ is sort of an inappropriate description. To call it trial and tribulation to be in the body of Christ, inappropriate. But to call it irritating and frustrating, hmm, those two terms can match pretty well with what it can be like in the body. Wisdom hath builded her house. She has hewn out her seven pillars. So Proverbs 9 starts out this way, and it's going to sort of set this thing of wisdom's house. Wisdom has a house. Now, all throughout this weekend, we talk about God's house and how God has built his house. And when you're talking about spiritual gifts, it's very, very important to recognize that's important, to recognize that we're all part of a house and we're all a a key player in how that house is built and put together. So wisdom, if we wanted to, we could just replace that with Jesus. Who is the one that said, tear down this temple and I'll rebuild it in three days? Well, that was Jesus. You see, the whole orchestration of the truth of the gospel is that God has a house to build. So he gives a pattern to Moses, and Moses builds a tabernacle. He gives a pattern to David. David hands that pattern off to Solomon. Solomon builds the temple. Jesus is the pattern of the house. 
It's torn down. He rebuilds it. The apostles see it and then write it down. They write down. That's what the New Testament is. It's the pattern of the house. It's the pattern for how we are supposed to function and be built up together in Christ Jesus. So Jesus has builded, that's a weird way of saying it, built a house. It's called the Church of Jesus Christ. And in his house, he seems to have seven pillars. Okay, now I'm, the reason I'm sort of taking time on this, because it's sort of an obscure scripture, right? I can just acknowledge that from the beginning. And if you were to say, why seven? That's exactly what I ask. It's like, why does it give a number? It doesn't just say his, she has hewn out her pillars, but seven. Okay, which then means, typically, it's an understanding of completion. There is a perfect number that brings balance and order. You take one of those pillars out, and what happens to the whole structure? It starts to crumble. In other words, there seems to be seven distinct pillars in this house that when they are all there, it's wisdom that God has put seven in there. Now, in this, I... I'm going to have to admit that there's some extrapolation that I'm taking. I'm taking certain liberties. I'm not taking liberties in the fact that God's building a house. I'm not taking liberties in the fact that all of us represent a different part of the house. But how to express that is somewhat challenging, which is why you see me uh, going into a message saying, I'm not sure how I'm going to articulate this, but I have a burden. So I'm going to attempt to. The seven pillars of every jurisdiction. So when, I, when I've taught on Proverbs in the past, and I had a whole conference quite a few years ago about ruling a nation, to rule a nation. Proverbs is an amazing book. It's a king telling another king how to rule a nation. That's what it is. But it's also a king telling another king how to rule his life. So if you want to rule a nation, you need to first learn how to rule this first house, known as your human body. Then you use the same wisdom and apply it to your marriage. Then you use that same wisdom and apply it to your family. Then you use that same wisdom, you see that, and follow it outward. The same truths, the same pillars that you build in your individual life are the same pillars that are needed in the church of Jesus Christ. You see, there's a way that God builds a house. And wisdom seems to understand that there are seven pillars that need to be hewn and established. So if you study government, which that's what I've done, I, I used to study and teach constitutional law, you'll understand that there seems to be seven, around there, very key systems of government. Okay? For instance, the Defense Department. Okay? That's, that's important. Okay? But you also have an economy in every, uh, every good working nation. You have agriculture. You have these different systems in a government that I'm not going to go into. But the point is, if one is lacking, then the whole nation can crumble because one of the systems is not being tended to or it is breaking down. And it actually causes all the other systems to fail. Okay, so the illustration that God gives in the Bible is the human body. That's what Paul is constantly referring to when he's describing this living house. Is he likens us to a body. Not my uh, picture. God's picture. And so we are a body. We know that. We, we know scripture well enough to know, yeah, okay, we're a body. But when we describe seven pillars in a body, that sounds awkward. It's like, okay, you got one limb here. you got another pillar here. And so that's where I, in trying to do this, you might say, well, you're reaching, Eric. And at the same time, you might say, huh, that actually makes sense. So what I'm going to give you is seven pillars of a human house, okay? And I'm going to call them the systems of operation in the house. Now, to get to seven, because there's really eight, uh, I'm going to use the frame, the structure, the command, the communication, or the head 
as wisdom. Okay, so the head and the skeletal structure, that entire thing, because the skeletal is a system, according to, you know, most scientists. So as a result, I'm going to remove that from my list so I can get seven. See, that's why some of you could be like, he's cheating to do that. I know. You see, I don't know how to just divide this up so that you can get the picture, but I think it will help you, even though there's a little human work on my part to help us see this. Do you, you follow me, the difference between the scriptures and Eric adding something to it? Okay, so the human, I crossed out bodies so that you understand that the way that we are constructed, wisdom has designed us. Wisdom has created us. And I would say has hewn out seven pillars. That if you compromise one of them, the rest all go down. In other words, it's important that every one of your systems in your body function. Okay? So we have the breathing system, typically understood as a respiratory function. It's for breath. We have the growing system, or the endocrine function. It's for growth. We have the purifying system, or the defense function. Function. It's for protection. We have the delegation system, or the digestive function. In other words, you stick food in, and the body like takes what it needs. It sends this over here. It strengthens this muscle over here. So I'm calling it the delegation system. Hey, you, over here. Yeah, we need a little protein over here in this muscle. In other words, it's actually taking the resource that is being supplied and, press, and putting it where it needs to be, the digestive function, or the, for the proper use of resource. The strength system, or the muscular function, for the proper coordination of strength. The giving system, or the circulatory function, for proper distribution of strength. And the replicating system, the reproductive function, for multiplication. So what you're going to see in that is the way that every system really works, okay? What I just described, if you want to study government, you're going to realize that's actually important, what I just described. If you want to learn how to lead a nation, you better know those different systems because you're going to have resource in your system, but if you put it all over here and you don't spread it out properly and get that protein over to this muscle, actually the body begins to break down. The nation will collapse, okay? So what I'm going to do with this is I'm going to take those same systems that I just introduced you to, and I'm going to uh, give some biases to it, okay? Because I would say, just as a proposal, just as a thought for you to ruminate on, that what if we were all sort of divided up into different systems in the body, and we represented seven different systems? So one of you has been respiratory system your entire life, and you are heavily biased that breath is the most important thing for the body. You know, and I, you have to admit, if some guy from the respiratory system, you know, gets on the stage and he takes the microphone, what do you think he's going to talk about? Every, guy, every time this guy starts talking, he's always talking about the importance of breath. And, you know, as you're sitting there, you can't argue with him, but you're always sort of irritated that he's always emphasizing breath. Why? Because you're endocrine system. And for you, it's all about the hormones. Now, I'm a little concerned about that. However... <laughs> In other words, we all have an emphasis, and if you were to look at it from an outside vantage point, you could actually see why the respiratory system is so heavily biased towards breath. Does breath matter? It does. And so that person seems to be uniquely wired by God to recognize the value of that which brings life to the body. And yet their lens that they look at it through is very unique to them, and they think that everyone should have the same lens. They can't figure out why the digestive guy over here is always talking about enzymes and properly breaking down food and putting it into the body. It's like, come on, buddy. If you don't have breath, your digestive system dies anyways. And of course, the digestive system going is saying, have you ever had uh, you know, so your, st- your colon stop up and you, know, you, you want to find out some pain in your life? You get rid of those enzymes. If we don't have the enzymes, we're not properly digesting this food. It all goes south. And both are correct. In other words, there seems to be wisdom 
in each of the functions, and yet most of us just look at all the other functions as like, boy, they really are overemphasizing the wrong part of the body. Or are they? Or is it their role to say, hey, guys, we need more digestive enzymes. Hey, hey guys, if we don't have digestive enzymes, we're sunk. Are we willing to listen to that uh, side of the body? Does the digestive side of the body have anything to do with the body? It does. So the breathing system, the respiratory function, they seem to always be caught up on the issue of oxygen. Come on, there they go again. They're talking about oxygen again. Uh, The growing system, the endocrine function, hormones. Boy, everything has to do with hormones. They're always teaching us on the value of hormones. If you don't have hormones, boy, everything's off. Uh, How about uh, the purifying system, the immune system as most of us know it as? White blood cells. Boy, if you don't have good white blood cells, if your white blood cell count isn't high enough, then I tell you what, all diseases are going to sneak in here. Well, how about the delegation system? Digestive enzymes. Here, you need a, you know, one of these bef- before you eat this uh, Italian meal so you can properly digest this. If you don't, if you don't take this, you know, you're chomping on some, some really difficult to, to digest stuff there. That's meat there. And so you're going to need some digestive enzymes. The strength system, the key emphasis, protein. Boy, they're always talking about that protein. We don't have enough protein in our diet. The giving system, circulatory function, blood. Life is in the blood. If you don't have good blood, then the whole thing goes south. The replicating system, for, for the sanity of this message, I'm just going to call it romance. However... And who wants to be? Some people think that this is what I'm all caught up on. It's like, oh, you wrote 12 books on it. You must be the reproductive system. Please. <laughs> I don't know which of us wants to admit that that's us in the body. <laughs> However, it is important. Typically, this is the evangelists. These are the ones that care so deeply about lost souls. Hey, guys, we can't keep this to ourselves. We need to reproduce. You follow me? And now some of you are like going, oh, no, that's me. The human house and its seven spiritual biases. Okay, so now what I'm going to do is I'm going to liken us to that body, but instead of using terms like oxygen and hormones, which are distant from us, like how do I relate to that? Now, this is an imperfect science that I'm going to put up on the, uh, the screen here, but I want to walk us through at least an attempt to sort of show us how irritation can come. Because each one of these systems has value. And as you see the global, you have to admit, you know, because if you have a breakdown in any one of those, you start removing oxygen, yeah, the body dies. You remove those hormones, you have hormone imbalance in a body, and you have all sorts of problems. Okay? You remove uh, blood or healthy blood or white blood cells, and guess what? It's going bad. If you stop reproducing, we're done in one generation, guys. In other words, all of these things are truths. However, we all seem to be wired to be able to be a part of a process in this body being healthy. So I'm going to say, and it's seven spiritual biases. So you see the breathing system or the respiratory function. Now, whether or not I'm matching these up prop- properly is, is, and whether I call them what would be appropriate, that's a whole different discussion. Okay? I could irritate you guys just in how I organize this. But I'm going to call it the mystical Okay, now sometimes people don't respond well to that term because it sounds new age. But I'm saying it's the part that is mysterious in the Christian life. And there are certain people in the body that have a, 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 a craving to see God move in power. Okay, then there's other parts of the body like, I don't need to see someone raised from the dead. In fact, I feel uncomfortable when people keep praying over dead people. Could we just let them die? They're better off if they go to heaven. 
And yet you have some people like saying, I believe it's important. The, apostle use, use, the apostles use demonstration of power to show their generation the reality of God. They have a point. And so does the person. It's like, I don't need that to be able to believe. You see, they function a little differently in their spiritual lives. And we're always looking at the other guy as whacked out when in actuality, it could be that both sides are expressing something that is, are both important to wisdom. Wisdom says, I need seven pillars, guys. And we're like, I think we're fine with one, God. I think we could hold this up just on my pillar. My pillar is really strong. And if we just emphasize it and just sort of grow this pillar bigger, I think we could hold up the whole house. And God says, yep, seven. So I'm going to call it the mystical, the leading, the sense of presence, the evidence of power, the hearing, the feeling, the heating. Uh, The endocrine function, Uh, whether this is the right one to associate it with, the arts and the and or atmosphere. You know, it's funny. Each one of these, I actually can, uh, there's a part of me that goes, yeah, I I can see. If you ask me which one am I, I'm not sure which one I am. I have sensitivities to each one, but there are probably ones that I'd be like, huh. Because whenever anyone overemphasizes, or in my opinion, overemphasizes, I always get uncomfortable. Okay, so the arts and or atmosphere. I'm very affected by atmosphere, which if you followed me around like uh, I'm writing a book, I, I can't do it in a, too much noise. At the same time, if I'm by myself and there's no noise around at all, <sighs> I'm looking, there's something I'm looking for. It's like, what you, Leslie's always like, what, do you, what are you looking for here? I don't know. I don't like Starbucks, but if I go to Coffee 29, I know too many people, so <laughs> I, I'm going to go to Starbucks because it has enough people that don't know me, and they'll leave me alone, and I have an atmosphere of noise. There's a buzz around me. There we go. Sweet spot. All right, start writing. And that seems ridiculous, even to me, okay? But in the church, it's very similar. For instance, if the, you get a feedback, it's like, through the thing, that actually affects your ability to worship. Some people are like, eh, I don't care. They don't even notice things like that. But it's like the grammar. When you write a book and someone's reading it and it has poor grammar in it, guess what? It drives some people crazy and they cannot read the book. And you can say, well, just overlook that stuff. Well, easy for you to say you don't care about that stuff. Does that make sense? You're not wired to see that stuff. So the arts and or atmosphere, creative expression, worship, dance, poetry, beauty, and fragrance, whatever it is, however we would describe it, there is something that certain people are wired to bring to the body. When they come in, it's like, this is so plain. Let's add beauty. Let's add life. Let's add some poetry. Let's, let's have a little more quality in our worship. You're, just thoughts like that, that other people are like, I, I sort of like it. It's more human this way. You know, it just sort of has that angst of wrecked humanity. Everyone sings off key and off, <laughs> off pitch, and I like that. Well, you probably shouldn't be in charge of that sector of the church. The purifying system, the defense function. I'm calling this the truth preached. You're going to notice I'm going to have three different emphases in regards to truth. The truth preached, and you know the next one is the truth investigated. Okay? The truth preached, strong preaching, strong teaching, proclamation. Some of us, that's what we need. It's like we want that in the church. And when you think of what's missing in the church, you're like, we need strength of confession of our faith again. We just have to rise up. And when you hear it, flame in your soul. Okay? Uh, the digestive function for proper use of resource, the truth investigated. These people are all into biblical study, in-depth analysis, in-depth discussion, the pursuit of exactitude. It says in Scripture, I mean, you're, you're missing it on this one, because the actual tense in the Scripture is different than what you just said. Does that matter? Because it can really irritate you. When, when you're preaching your little Sunday school, and then someone with uh, the, 
The digestive function is in there saying, we're, hey, we're distributing this incorrectly. That's not right. Okay, does that matter? So it could really irritate you. You follow me? However, that is a gift to the body. The, the desire for proper form and exactitude is actually a gift. The muscular function. Whether or not I'm, again, this is a great fit for this one. The social realness. Humility, openness, authenticity. Some, there's, there's one language for many people. And when they come to a church, what they want to see is they just want to see real people. They want to see humility. They don't want to see just this whole system of excellence and artistic expression that's all packed perfectly. But then people aren't being real. They're not being authentic. They're not getting down to the nitty-gritty of life and crying when they need to cry. You follow me? That is a huge aspect of what some people are attracted to. It speaks their language of their soul. And so as a body, should we listen to that or should we not care? The circulatory function, the social connectedness. So it's not just seeing humility, openness, and authenticity. In this one, it's the love, the kindness, the closeness, and the, I made up a word, sharedness of life. It's the communion that is the language of their soul. Every single thing that I'm talking about, by the way, matters. When wisdom builds her house, she hews out seven pillars. And each of these, I would say, are what hold up the church. And yet, when you are wired one way to look at life through only your lens, you have a tendency to be frustrated with some of these other things. Because they seem to be off focus. It's like, hey, hey how, what good is it if you have authenticity and realness if you're preaching a false gospel? See? I mean, now you can sort of see which system you're in. Right there. In other words, but all of us, I think, in a body like this, have learned to a certain measure to appreciate the seven pillars. I'm not saying we don't. I'm saying, but we are still susceptible to getting irritated with these different emphases. And the replicating system. We'll call it the truth applied. So we had the truth preached, the truth investigated, and the truth applied. These are the ones, and see if you can recognize this. Well, we're sitting on our duffs. We talk about the truth all the time, but what are we doing with it? Hey, we need to get out there and preach. What, what's the good of talking about reaching the lost if we don't do it? And then what is everyone that's not doing it, that is sitting on their duffs feeling? Will you shut this guy up? He's really convicting me. And yet that person is wired within the body to press us outward, to push us into action. So the first truth in functioning as a team, recognizing that we are all built uniquely. And that's okay. In other words, I think most of us would conclude that if I had a true-false test, are all of us built the same or uniquely? I think all of us would pass the test with flying colors. I think we know this, but we don't fully accept it in the practice of the church. That uniqueness will either drive a wedge between us, or that uniqueness will prove our great strength to accomplish supernatural errands as a team. Remember how I started out with irritation, and I said irritation can either destroy you and draw on the fleshly part of you to get mad at people, to get frustrated with people, and to actually speak words that are harsh, to distance yourself saying, I've had enough of this. Or that same irritation can be used to actually grow you stronger. Remember the name of this message was the pearl farmer. Now, if any of you know about pearls, you understand where I'm going with this. Each one has his own gift from God. Now, over this weekend, we were talking about that idea of gift. And the word gift may not actually be the language that speaks to us, okay? Because a gift sounds like a box with a bow on it. 
And we all have been given a box with a bow on it. It's what we interpret that to be. However, the word is charisma, which is an empowerment to do and perform. It comes from the, uh, the word charis, which is grace, which is the power to do. We are saved by this, the power of God doing on our behalf what we couldn't do. And we are still saved by grace, not just 2,000 years ago, but today. It's still God that works on our behalf to do the work of Christianity in and through us. That's the secret of how Christianity works. So each of us has been given a grace to do what we are called to do. Okay? One in this manner and another in that. There are diversities of these graces that are given, of these gifts, but the same spirit. So the Spirit of God has a great sense of humor. He says, I'm going to give you this. I'm going to give you this. I'm going to give you this. Even knowing up front that our propensity is to think that we have it right and everyone else has it wrong. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. In other words, the way that I am uniquely built is a gift that is given to me, but not for me, but it's for me to give to you. And that's how this charisma works, is I've been given a special grace to actually give to you and to serve you with. What we have a tendency to do is get this grace and get in our side you know, position going, I'm going to hold on to my position. I think I know something. They don't appreciate it. Instead of giving it freely. God has given freely to you. Now give that grace that he has given you. It's for the profit of others. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another. So each of us receives a gift. We each receive a special grace to do function in the body of Christ. We are told to minister it to one another. So the reason you are given this is so that you can encourage one another. For those of you that are inclined towards going and speaking and sharing, and it seems almost like a more fluid movement in your life than it is for others that are scared to death of doing it. And they're just trembling. Whenever they are around you, they're always like feeling convicted, like, oh, I need to get out there and I need to be speaking. For that person to use their gift to reach out and to say, hey, let me help you. As opposed to, hey, why aren't you doing it? Does that make sense? In other words, how do we take our strengths and bring people into it as opposed to just telling people they're wrong because they're not like us? as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. You ever thought of actually using this grace? That's what we're supposed to do. So the human house, and I'm going to say, and it's seven soul necessities. So what I just went through are systems, and I would say each of us is uniquely gifted to function in the body, but our giftings in function and in ministry in the body are actually unique. But there are certain things that are not meant to be unique to us, but are common to all. So though there are certain things and functions that are unique, there are certain things that are actually common, and we need to know the difference between the two. So we're going to go through seven soul necessities, and so again, it's seven, but in this case, I'm going to say every single one of us is supposed to have these things. So in 2 Peter 1, 8 through 10, now 2 Peter 1, 1 actually starts what many people throughout Christian history would call the seven graces. 
Some people will call them eight graces. Again, we have this seven-eight complication. We'll call them seven for today because it says add to your faith virtue. So we start with faith as a basis. Now it's like, okay, we're all in the faith. Now we need to add something to it. And so that's the context that we're in. And we're supposed to diligently seek adding to what God has already put in. And this is not something that is unique to one slice of Christianity. The evangelist needs to do this. Or the preacher needs to do this. No, this is all of us and it's common. So I'm going to go through it. Add to your faith, virtue, knowledge, self-control, patience, godliness, brotherly love, and love. Okay, so this is not an optional course for us. This is to take the way we are uniquely designed. Now have it shaped and sanctified with these graces. These are the graces that govern our grace of function. So we are uniquely wired in the body to do something, but if we don't have these, we cause problems in the body instead of help with our gift. And so what it says in verses 8 through 10, in response to this list, it says, For if these things be in you and abound, or are ever increasing, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacks these things is blind and cannot see far off. For if you do these things, you shall never fall. Well, now that sounds like a solid church there. So if we take our unique wiring and begin to apply these graces to it, we begin to see something strong and stable come forth. Every one of us is made purposely unique. So this is on purpose. It wasn't in the mind of Eric that all of us would be so diverse. This is in the mind of God. God came up with it. It's funny, Eric would have come up with some kind of automaton thing where we all look the same way, talk the same way. It just seems so much easier to get along, doesn't it? If I look at you and I say, here's my thought, and you go, that's exactly my thought. (laughs) And we give a high five. I tell you what, that just seems so much easier. It's like, talk about unity. So Paul's saying, yeah, you need to be of one mind. That's his desire, is that we be of one mind. And I'm like, Paul, have you ever been around this church? Don't you realize that that is impossible? You know what church he was writing to at the time? A church that was not of one mind. A church that was splintered all across the landscape of Corinth. They were debating in heated, strife-filled debates. And Paul says, I long that you would have one mind. That's impossible. Could you imagine some preacher coming to the church having all sorts of denominational representatives today? It's like, I have a desire that you would all think the same thoughts. That you would all come to the same conclusions. That's just wishful thinking, buddy. You know, I don't know if you've been around, you just haven't been around the block enough to realize that that isn't how it works. Or is it possible that that is actually what God intends but we are so focused on our individual system or function that we fail to realize that God purposely built us that way. Not to denominationalize, but to actually make us a functional body. So every one of us is made purposely unique, and every one of us must add to our faith virtue, arite, in the Greek. So listen to this. I'm going to give you a greater understanding of each of these graces so you can understand what God is wanting to build in. Virtue, or erite, which is oftentimes a very confusing one, the very first thing in the list, we're going to like add erite? Why do we need that as our first thing? It's the grace for overcoming sin and walking in triumph. You see, if you don't have that initial grace when you add to your faith, what's ruling you? The sin, sin is still controlling you, but if you understand how to add this, I mean, it changes everything. 
knowledge, gnosis. The grace for understanding truth and walking in faith. Self-control, egretea. The grace for guarding the soul from sin's encroachment and walking in self-control. Patience, hupomone. The grace for endurance, perseverance, immovability. Godliness, usibia. The grace for honorable action, brotherly love, philadelphia. The grace for people and love, agape. Listen to this, this is great. The grace for walking in all the graces and for revealing God's very nature and behavior always. In other words, as we grow in love, which is what this is, it's the chief grace. As we grow, as we're applying ourselves unto these others, what we're doing is we're growing in love. We're coordinating these other graces to walk in strength. So even though we are uniquely wired, we now have a gentleness, a godliness in our interaction with each other. And we recognize that God has a great sense of humor. And so we have a brotherly love, a philadelphia, which has affection for our brothers, even though they're a little strange to us. And even though they're not made up the same way we are, and even though they always seem to bring up that one point, and it's like, why don't you see this? This is just as important. In other words, we learn to work together and appreciate those differences instead of constantly complain about them. So, as it says uh, in 1 Peter 1, 8 through 10, for if you do these things, you shall never fall. The coordination of the knockout punch. So there's the devil, and he has that one smirk on his face. And he's, he's getting a big smile on his face because the church is devouring itself. I mean, we're, we're on top of each other, beating each other up. It's like, he, this is his game. This isn't what Christ has given us his Holy Spirit to accomplish. And so there's a frustration, a latent irritation, even in us when we think about the body of Christ. Oftentimes, most of the pain you've gone through in your life, some of the greatest amounts of it happen in the church. Okay? Do you see? That's good territory for frustration right there, for hurt, for unforgiveness, for bitterness and resentment. That's the devil's game, though. God wants us to turn this the other direction. So I'm going to talk about the coordination of a knockout punch. A knockout punch is not just a fist or a hand agreeing with God and balling up. So that devil needs to be belted, right? But this hand needs to be coordinated with something. And that's the rest of the body. You know that it's, it's a fascinating study to just think about how a, this one singular movement works, but it involves the whole body. You want to knock that devil out? Well, we're going to have to get the body working together, guys. Because you may be a fist and like, see, see, I'm doing my part. Yeah, but you need to learn to work with the arm. Because that arm is actually needed to be able to pull off what you were designed for. You see, you were designed for a piece of this. It's a pretty big piece. You're going to absorb a lot of uh, pain in that. In fact, I'd say you're probably going to absorb most of it, right? However, if you don't have the arm, if you don't have the shoulder in agreement with you, you're going to have a very difficult time pulling out that knockoff punch. I say knock off, knock out punch. Okay, so the fist must be in agreement with the arm, which must be in agreement with the shoulder, which must be in agreement with the hip. See, I, technically, if we had Aaron Vogel up here, he could tell us all the physiological movement to the punch, all right? However, mine, I just know it has to involve a hip, okay? Because when I do it, it's like, okay, what, what, what are we doing? So, but I, I, I can't actually say which is first, which is second, which must be in agreement with the feet, because, you know, when I do this, it's like, hey, my feet, look at that. What else is my foot goes, whoo, whoo, right? That foot needs to be in agreement. If my foot is, hey, hey, come on, foot. 
which must be in agreement with the heart, which must be in agreement with the mind, which must be in agreement with the spirit, which must be in agreement with the word. In other words, there is a need for the word of God to speak to us, the spirit of God to take that word and minister it to the center of our being so that we agree with it. And then we command that fist to ball up, that arm to agree with that shoulder and that hip and that foot and to swing. And as a result, when the body functions in harmony with each other, even though a hand is always looking at that hip going, come on, you're, you're focusing on the wrong things. All right? What, what, a hand and a, a hip are very different, and yet both necessary to the same movement. The rule of the seven pillars. If any one of these seven aspects is weak, ignored, unprofitable, then it will prove the demise of the entire life. So here we go. We're getting to our, fam- our, our topic that we've been longing to get to, irritation. It's the first sign that we are not embracing the seven pillars. So when you are experiencing negative irritation, the kind of irritation that, wants, that actually allows the devil to go, just get out of that church. I mean, they don't understand you. Boy, they're not going anywhere fast. Okay, this is like not just in this church, by the way. You go to any church, and you're going to find the same irritation. It's not like there's a better church down the road that doesn't have humans in it. If there was a church with golden retrievers, then maybe, okay? However, for whatever reason, God populates churches with us. And we are all built uniquely, and we're at different gradients of maturity and of sanctification. So there's some rough elements in every church. And if there aren't rough elements in every church, you have to question if that church is healthy. Because if you only have mature Christians in there, is that church really functioning? So if you don't have rough members, then something isn't right with the church. You follow me? However, some of us just dream of a church of just mature people without any issue. And though God desires to mature us under the perfect man, we're always in a state of flux and growth and development. And that's the tension that exists. So what exactly is irritation? Well, to explain it, we're going to do a quick study in the life of Eric Ludi. This will be brief. The godly sort of life I esteem. Wait till you hear this. Whatever part of the body I am. See, some of you will be like, boy, I like this Eric Ludi guy. I'm just like him. I like things clean. I like things in order. I like my house to smell good. I like my car to look good. I like my clothes to be without wrinkles. I like to be surrounded by pleasant noises. I like to not spend money. I like to save. I like to see my resources build up and gain interest. That is not my life. (laughs) I have six kids. I have two dogs. We just got rid of two guinea pigs this last week, and it was a rejoicing moment for me. (laughs) Every time I would go down the stairs, it's like, oh, guinea pigs. They're cute, don't get me wrong, but they stink. And so for me, before I had kids, Leslie and I could have this house that was clean every day. And, I mean, as bad as it would get is my coat getting flung over the side of the chair. And Leslie would go, could you hang up your coat, please? Because Leslie likes the same list I do. (laughs) And yet God, in his sense of humor, has put us in a body. A body with different emphases. Fun! Play! Dirt! Smells! My dogs do not have the same priority list that I do. <laughs> I remember some of you have heard this story, but uh, so Harper has a dog named Gracie. 
And Gracie is a very cute dog, even though not everyone would think so. Uh, and we were walking down the road the other day, and this, this guy was, like, polishing the side of his car, and then Gracie came around the corner, we were walking her. And it sort of startled him. Like, he sees this little scraggly dog, and he, and he looks up, and he sees us, and I'm like, hi. And he goes, wow, that dog is <clears throat> sexy. <laughs> that was how he described it. So that's, that's the encouragement to Gracie. That's, that's your mental picture. So Gracie doesn't quite get the notion that it's better to go to the bathroom outside. This has been a long-term struggle between Gracie and Daddy. Gracie and Daddy. Gracie and Daddy. That is not where you do that. Okay, so Gracie's famous spot for doing her thing was under Daddy's desk. Okay, so Leslie's wondering why I don't work at that desk. Remember, I'm very sensitive to atmosphere, so I got smells. And even though she cleans up those smells for me, she's like, Eric, I think it smells all right in there now. I just know there was a smell in there. <laughs> and it just messes me up. I can't focus there. It, just, it was always a problem. So I, there was something there waiting for me one time when I was coming to my desk. And I go, that's it. That's it. We're going to have to get rid of Gracie. And so Leslie looks at me like, oh, so you think we're just going to get rid of Gracie. What do you think that would do to Harper? Yeah, well, I mean, I can't live with it. She goes, okay. And this, is, this was her you know, thing that she laid before me. Do you want to have the heart of your daughter, or do you want to have a clean-smelling office? And my, my response back was, can't I have both? <laughs> Why in the world do I have to have this under my desk all the time? So, irritation. Do you see it? you see how that can be sponsored? You see, I have a way that things should be. Now, are these bad desires? Is it bad? Are you looking at Eric going, boy, this guy is just off his rocker. I mean, he wants things clean and smelling nice. I mean, come on, buddy, loosen up. Doesn't God, here's here's Eric's argument, and I can go to Scripture and I can prove this to all of you. Doesn't God like things clean? Just think about it, the Holy of Holies in heaven. Do you think it's going to have, like, trash lingering around in it and it's going to have bad smells? I mean, come on, guys, we know the answer to that. So doesn't God like things clean, in order, smelling fresh without spot or wrinkle? See, some of you are like, yeah, boy, Eric has a good point here. Doesn't he desire a joyful noise and not a noisome gong? And doesn't he advocate saving, investing, and showing a good return on our talents when he returns? Yeah. You see, that's why I'm irritated, because something's off here. This isn't the way this house should run. Follow me? See, I'm baiting you to understand how irritation works in a house that, like we run, and this house. Because things are in this house, dogs, guineas, And you're like, are you calling me a dog? (laughs) Smells, noises. And yet, if you were really to get down to it, would you rather have the heart of your daughter and some smells? We all know where we're coming down on that if we're going to be spiritually honest with what is true. All right, all right, God. I accept the smells because there is bigger fish to fry. There's something more valuable that I'm after. And though there is a yearning in us to have both the clean atmosphere and the nice smelling atmosphere as well as the heart of the body, the affection of the body, there's a tension which is where this thing called irritation comes in. So the two sides to every truth. So I just gave you a list of why we should have it clean, orderly, smelling nicely, and it's rather compelling. Money shouldn't be spent. Money should be saved. Some of you are like, amen, preach it, brother. 
And then there's a few in here like, no, God wants us to spend money. Okay, how we have these two different, and we marry each other. Happens all the time. (laughs) Two sides to every truth. So listen to this. For judgment, one side of the truth, is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Listen to this final line. Mercy, which is one side, triumphs over judgment. God is putting an order to things. When we get the wrong order of operations, we end up missing and getting the wrong answer to the way God intends us to live. There's an order of operations. Starts with mercy. You see, irritations are going to come, but how we receive them is of the utmost importance. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Now listen to this. What is irritation and frustration? This is profound, guys. Listen closely. It's when judgment triumphs over mercy. Is judgment a real thing? Yes. Is it wrong to have things dirty and smelly? Well, I can make a biblical case for it. And yet, mercy needs to be higher in the order of operations in my soul. And if it's not, I'm going to miss the answer. I'm going to be not in stride with the Spirit's work in this body. So therefore, I become irritable when I give the right answer and I press that which is right, press that which is what I see biblically, and I exclude the fact that God loves that person, God cares for that person, and God desires relationship to be fostered and not just rightness. I do want a clean house that hasn't gone away. I am wired to have clean, wired to have nice smells. I like atmosphere. I really do. But I have learned that if I ever emphasize atmosphere over my relationship with my kids, I begin to lose my relationship with my kids. And what's more important in the Ludi house? My relationship with my kids. Now, guess what? I'm still going to train them to keep a clean house. It's like a dream when my kids get old enough to say, let's get this house clean. I don't like a a messy house. It's like, did I just hear that? That's like a song of triumph. Sing it again. (laughs) Irritation and frustration is where the soul holds to the letter of judgment and refuses to be in agreement with God's nature of loving kindness. And so in so doing aborts God's refining, pearl-making work in the soul. God wants to build treasure inside of you. This very challenge that you're facing, this very relational tension that you're facing is actually pearl-making opportunity. But you're aborting it. You're throwing it out. You know that a good oyster, oysters are where pearls are made, right? A good oyster doesn't throw out irritants. It embraces them and surrounds them and turns them into treasure. That's interesting. The greater and lesser operations of the soul. So in this process, we need to recognize that mercy or love is a higher operation of the soul that we need to default to instead of just rightness. Does God care about doctrinal correctness? He does. But he actually cares that you love as a primary. Something might be doctrinally incorrect, but even how you deal with that doctrinal incorrection better be with love. In other words, if you do not have a greater operation in the soul, you will not resemble Jesus, though you are correct. My sister used to always say it this way. She said, truth, Eric, is a person. If you just take the facts of truth and separate it from the person of truth, you can actually be wrong. In other words, you could be right in your conclusion, but if you do not deliver that truth in the way that Jesus would deliver it, it's not truth anymore. See, it's actually maybe factually correct, but it's incorrect behaviorally. And that matters in the kingdom of heaven. 
That's actually what Paul says. The church at Corinth is dividing all over the place. They have schisms, and this particular discussion was on spiritual gifts, ironically. And Paul says, guys, I need to show you a more excellent way. Huperbole, which means so far beyond. If you were throwing a javelin, that's actually the mental picture. In other words, you throw a javelin, it reaches the end of the room here. Everyone's cheering. It's like world record for a human to do. Paul says, I'm going to show you a huperbole way. That's where the word hyperbole comes from. He throws it 10,000 miles. Love so far exceeds any other human way of handling these challenges in this body. If we learn to function in love, actually the world will stand in awe. And they will know that we are disciples of the living God by our love for one another. They do not recognize that we are disciples of Christ because of our exactitude in our doctrine. They know we are disciples of Jesus Christ because of our love for one another. So each of the functions in, the, in this body could be 100% right in saying, hormones, hormones, we pick it in the streets. Hormones, hormones. Oxygen, oxygen, oxygen. Romance, romance, romance. And they would be right and yet wrong. The world is not seeing the testimony that we are in fact the body of Christ. Because the body of Christ doesn't reject its arm. It doesn't throw off its left leg. It actually learns to work with that leg, even though that leg may have a limp. You recognize that even a leg with a limp is better than no left leg. And even if your hand is a little shriveled, it's better to have that shriveled hand than no hand. In other words, even though we are a work in process, and even though this body may not be to its fullest maturity, God built it this way on purpose. So, as we learn to handle it correctly, our life begins to function. A necessary study in pearls. So an oyster has a soft mantle in it, is what it's called. It's sort of like a goopy uh, substance. It's very delicate. A a pearl is not like a strong thing. It has a nice shell on the outside, but inside, it's vulnerable. And so when a parasite or a piece of sand creeps in, I'm going to refer to it as a thorn, since that's a great illustration in Scripture, a thorn in the mantle, a thorn in the flesh. When those thorns come... Our instinct as oysters is to push it out, is to get rid of these irritants. We don't want irritants in our life. Hey, I'm going to a different church, a church where there's no irritants. Uh, So when you find that, let's compare notes. That's interesting because all of us might leave here and go there. Of course, then we just brought all the irritants with us. (laughs) But when an oyster receives that irritant, it is given a very special substance. An oyster is designed by God with something called nacre. And what that nacre does is it surrounds that irritant and in a sense embraces it and converts it into a pearl. That's what it does. What have you been given? You've been given grace. God even says it. Hey guys, you've been given grace for these irritations. So when the irritation comes in, I've given you the grace to surround and embrace that irritation and to turn that irritation into a pearl. So for those of you that are confused at what a pearl looks like, there it is. Isn't that a nice picture? See, that's what we can get. The Bible and pearls. Actually, it's surprising how much the Bible talks about pearls. Pearl, we know about the pearl of great price, which is symbolic of the most valuable thing, Jesus Christ. And once you see that pearl, you're willing to give up everything in order to get it. So in other words, God is amping up our understanding of the value of a pearl. So my question to you is, if you knew that a pearl was that valuable, what would you be willing to go through in order to get it? Would you be willing to be a part of a body which is full of all sorts of 
irritants, to be able to see that type of a pearl formed in your life. Because that's the way you get it. But also we have, do not feed your pearls to swine. There's all sorts of pearls. So I gave you some references there. But God prizes pearls, utilizing them in his word as a picture of that which holds the most value. His shed blood, his gospel, and his gift of grace. In other words, the value of a pearl is extremely high. Nacre. It's the miracle pearl-forming substance, powerfully ready to go into action when the splinter arrives. You have been given something even before the irritation comes. You see, you're a believer. You're in Christ. What's your position? If you're in Christ, that means you have nacre. I know that's not what we call it scripturally, but you have grace. You have that which can enfold that splinter, that difficulty, that parasite, that challenge, and actually begin to convert it. God takes everything, the enemy even means, for evil, and will turn it to good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. He's given us nacre to convert those outside influences that would otherwise seek to destroy us. 2 Corinthians 12. So this is Paul, and he has just talked about this man who has seen the, the third heaven and all these glorious pictures. And what we begin to realize in the process is that Paul is talking about himself. And so now he actually says, and lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of these revelations, he's seen such amazing things, a thorn in the flesh was given to me. So, I mean, that sort of sounds like a splinter in the mantle to me. A messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, what a strange statement, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities. How many of you are thinking, most gladly, I'll receive irritation. That the power of Christ may rest upon me, therefore I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and needs and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So, the nacre version of Paul's words. Now some of you I know have expressed that it can sometimes be uncomfortable for you when I take the words of scripture and I stick in some synonyms or synonymous expressions. So I want you to know, I'm going to go on record as saying what I'm giving you right now is actually the substance of 2 Corinthians 12, 7, through 10. But it's with a nacre illustration. I'm replacing out a splinter or a thorn in the flesh and how Paul responds to that with this idea of a parasite or a grain of sand or a splinter that comes into the shell of an oyster. And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a splinter in my inner oyster mantle was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this splinter, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from my inner oyster mantle. You ever had that? It's like, God, get this out of my life. This is miserable. And he said to me, my nacre is sufficient for you. For my nacre strength is powerfully effective in this irritation you are currently facing. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my splinters that the nacre power of Christ may work upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in bits of sand, cuts, and splinters of every kind. For Christ's sake. For when my inner oyster mantle is irritated, then I am strong with all nacre power. So I want you to recognize that this is the mindset of a Christian. We've been given grace, and when we receive that irritation, we are supplied everything we need to thrive in it. The pearl farmer. God's a pearl farmer. God's bringing about pearls. You know there are farmers out there that actually purposely bring irritations to little uh, oysters? They do. They scientifically walk through the process of sticking a little grain of sand in there and then sitting back and going, ah, 
perfect. The nature is at work. And so you could say, wait a minute, wait a minute. Is God a pearl farmer? Well, yeah, he is. You see, the devil has a very real agenda to bring irritation to your life. So I'm not going to discredit that. He has come to steal, kill, and destroy you. And he will jab a splinter into your oyster mantle. However, God is not afraid of what the enemy is desiring to do to harm you and to destroy you. Because he will take all of that and turn it to good. So every form of irritation, even the immaturities in this body, which are real, and I'm not saying, oh yeah, it's great that we have immaturity. It's that God isn't afraid of the fact that he's putting together a body that is still immature, that is still in a process of growth and development. And he knows that little fleshly moments will pop up here and there. He knows that this is not a fully sanctified and perfected body, but we have all found our salvation in Christ's perfection. Therefore, we are bound together in a common union known as communion. And we share life together even though we're an odd group of people. He's a pearl farmer, guys. The rule of heavenly luster. For a pearl of great price, there is a necessity of a splinter of great degree. The preciousness of splinters. I don't know if any of you have ever thought about the preciousness of splinters. It's like, oh boy, could I have a splinter? Why would you want a splinter? Uh, Well, if I have a splinter, I can get a pearl. I'm really interested in uh, joining my father in heaven and being a pearl farmer. Pearls are worth a lot, guys. So what if you knew that you could begin harvesting pearls? So what's the secret? You need some irritation, guys. So where better to find irritation than right here? We got the perfect farm for pearl development. Some of you are taking me way too seriously on this. It's like, I think he's offending me. I think he's actually saying I'm an irritant. No, I'm not saying it to you as an individual. I'm just saying that is what comes with body life. And if you haven't yet realized that, you probably need to continue in the body to recognize we really are different people. We really have different emphases, yet the same Christ. So like grains of sand, these splinters are in abundance in each of our lives, but most, if not all of them, are lost and are destroyed in the harvesting process. So an actual splinter kept and preserved for pearl farming purposes is supremely rare and worth much in the kingdom of heaven. If you get the opportunity for an irritant, which by the way, if some of you arrived today with some irritants, and there might have even been a little look across the, you know, the church, and you're like, okay, I'm not saying that that happened. I'm saying it's possible. All right, and so what's been the problem is you're trying to get rid of it. Instead of saying, thank you, Lord, I have grace for that so that I can actually love through this and show the kingdom of heaven in my response to it. Participating with the pearl farmer, laboring to preserve every splinter and not lose the value of even one that comes your way. Most of us have been rejecting the irritant, but it's time we changed our thinking. Nacre, it's the power of the Holy Spirit, the work of grace. That would be the synonymous picture. You've been given everything you need to actually convert the challenges you will face into pearls. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. So God has given us the Holy Spirit. And he wants to govern us with this nacre, if you want to say it that way. What is our response? We have been given a very unique wiring, a very unique gifting in the body. But if we do not function in that gifting with The Holy Spirit, how's the Holy Spirit going to function? With love? It's going to rejoice. It's going to have joy, peace, 
patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You remove those things from it, and suddenly you may have a gift, but you're not wielding it the way God would intend to edify and to build up the body. And that's what oftentimes happens. We're taking our gift and isolating ourselves, going, I think I've got a corner on this. I think I've got it figured out. These guys are all messed up. Instead of recognizing, I need those guys. I need their perspective. Their perspective actually sharpens me. So introducing Captain Lou and his superheroic band of rescuers. Okay, as the story goes, there is an irritant. There is a challenge. A splinter is being stuck into your inner mantle. You need Captain Lou and his super heroic band of rescuers. Aren't you guys feeling the background movie score? We get Steve Rosen to ride it. I mean, this is intense stuff. However, the goal is, you see, on your own, without Captain Lou and his super heroic band of rescuers, you're going to lose this splinter. You're going to purge it out. You're going to get as far away from it as you can, but you need to preserve this splinter because there's a pearl that you can gain if you do. Okay, so what I'm going to walk through is actually the fruit of the Spirit. Okay, this is what you need. You can have all the gifts of the Spirit, but if you don't have the fruit of the Spirit to govern those gifts, you're going to actually create harm as opposed to help. Lewis is his name. He's the captain. He's responsible for overseeing every action, every movement of this league of extraordinary gentlemen. Lou is always smiling, always serving, always cheering on his men. His men love him and would gladly die for him. Whatever he asks, they do it without question. They do it precisely the way Lewis trained them to do it. So in the Old Testament, it's a picture of David. His name even means beloved. De-ahava, de-ahava means love. So he's love. He's the loved one. Well, that's Louis. That's Lou. I should get his name pronounced correctly. See, he's the captain of this band of superheroes. He's love. And he's the one that trains all the other subsidiary expressions of the Holy Spirit. So Jones, Mr. Laugh. Some people call him Jonesy. He's the comic in the group. He's always bringing that light-hearted leap. Uh, Peters is Mr. Calm. Peters doesn't say much, but works behind the scenes to ensure the team is working together in sound of mind. Papaduka, he's Mr. Tough. Nothing can break this guy. Call him names. Pappy won't stir. Pump him full of bullets. Pappy will keep standing. Try and move him from his position. You'll find that it would be easier to move Mount Kilimanjaro. Kruger, Mr. Missionary. Krugs is the one that handles the hard stuff, the people. He is fearless in the face of the most hateful characters. Krugs has never seen a criminal he doesn't love. Getz, Mr. Integrity. Getz makes the right decision even if it costs him his life. Fitzberger, Mr. Splinter. Fizz, that's what we call him, can handle any and every splinter. Where most would crumble under the weight of handling these explosive and dangerous dudes, Fizz says the bigger the splinter, the greater Naker. He loves Naker. Jans, Mr. Surgeon. With all the delicacy of a highly trained brain surgeon, Janzy can take the most inoperable circumstances and somehow bring about health. Smithy, Mr. Muscle. The go-to guy for the muscle job. Smithy can swat away demonic enticement like it were a pesky fly and can keep secured the jewels of the soul like a 10-mile thick wall of diamond. So what you need as you enter into this battle is something bigger than yourself. You are being called on to preserve splinters. To handle every trial you face and to gain the gold out of it, or in this case, the pearl out of it. So the fruit of the Spirit is, now again, for those of you that struggle with the fact that I take Scripture and might replace out something to make a point, I'm not saying that this is how the Scripture reads, I'm saying this is what I want you to catch. 
The special forces of the Christian life are Lewis, Jonesy, Peters, Papaduca, Kruger, Getz, Fitzberger, Jans, and Smithy. And there is no prohibition in you, a Christian, to calling on them and employing their amazing skill. They're at your disposal. Everything you need to pull off this incredible feat has been given you. The secret of handling splinters, the field guide to dismantling the irritation bomb, disabling the perpetrator, and plundering and preserving the precious pearl-starting splinter in the process. Don't ever fear the irritants is where we start. You have the Nakers Special Forces team, so use it. In the first moments you see the tactical irritation attack against your soul, unleash your secret weapon. Turn to Captain Lewis, a.k.a. Love, and let him lead the team of commandos. The moment you receive that irritation, the moment it begins to touch your soul, unleash love. Hey, Lewis, I need you right now. You call him into action. See, this is the work of the Holy Spirit in you to actually begin to then bring in all the other uh, special forces to assist you in walking through this. Within the first seconds of the attack, let Captain Lou utilize your tongue in order to announce to the intruder and to all that wish to listen in. My desires, comforts, and tastes are not of primary concern in this life. Rather, God's glory is of paramount importance here. Then immediately mobilize under the direct command of Captain Lou, the dismantle crew, the attitude dude, and the splinter rescue squad. The dismantle crew, a team specially designed to undermine and defuse the work of Satan in the irritation process, separating the splinter from the one attempting to wield the splinter, and in the process disarming the potential bomb and procuring a priceless pearl starter at the same time. Featuring the special spiritual skills of Smithy, Mr. Muscle, known as self-control, Jonesy, Mr. Laugh, Joy, Peters, Mr. Calm, Peace, and Papaduka, Mr. Tough, Patience. So if you have self-control, joy, peace, and patience in the midst of it, as a first thing, what you have is you have calm and order to the process in your soul. Most of you immediately lose that control, and as a result, you're going to lose the splinter opportunity to turn it into a pearl. The Attitude Dude, the one-man operation under the direct superintendence of Captain Lou, the specially trained commando is able to dexterously handle the human influence behind the attack of irritation, featuring the special spiritual skills of Kruger, Mr. Missionary. He's kindness. The Splinter Rescue Squad, a team specially designed to handle the delicate and precious splinter and ensure that it is not lost or harmed in the midst of the fighting. This team knows the power and inerrant value in a splinter and knows how to work in full concert with the Pearl Farmer. Featuring the special spiritual skills of Getz, Mr. Integrity, which is godliness, Fitzberger, Mr. Splinter, which is faith, Jans, Mr. Surgeon, which is gentleness, and Smithy, Mr. Muscle, which is self-control. You see, in this process, you have been given everything you need. You've been given grace to bless the body, to give to the body. You've also been given grace to handle the differences in the body, because you are unique, so are they. And as you learn to work together, there are going to be moments where you don't work perfectly together. And so in that, you have been given that nacre, or those gifts of the Spirit, to be able to apply love to it. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So that you can see that which the enemy would use to harm you turned into a tremendous blessing for your life and theirs. Oh, to reveal Jesus with our lives. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate, to be conformed to the image of his son, to be turned into a pearl, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Father, I pray that you would instruct us as the body in how to rightly handle the differences that are present here, the challenges that are present here, 
the different emphases or biases that we, for whatever reason, uniquely hold. And Lord, I pray that you would unite us and that we would be of one mind in seeing Jesus and him crucified, in seeing that this all centers on the person of Jesus Christ. Lord, bring us together, bond us together, and unite us for your glory, honor, and praise. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this message by Pastor Eric Ludy, delivered at the Church of Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. Feel free to make copies of this message, but do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without expressed written permission. For more information about us or to help support the ministry of Ellerslie, we invite you to visit us at ellerslie.com, E-L-L-E-R-S-L-I-E.com. Please know that you are not alone in this battle for truth, and we are cheering you on down the narrow way of the cross.